Hello, lovelies. You are listening to the House of Bliss podcast. I am Cole Harmon, and I have a lot to share with you today. If you're not familiar with how this show goes, uh, there are two types of episodes. There are our main episodes, which are long, funny conversations between me and my co-hosts. And there are what you're listening to right now, which are nuggets. They're just raw, unfiltered, you and me talking, and uh, much more stripped back and simple. Um, <laughs> some of you might have noticed that I completely missed last week, and it's because I had an earth-shattering week. And so I had to kind of give you guys a bit of an update on what's going on. <laughs> um, number one, my co-host Mark had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. Seriously, he w- he has had an amazing, amazing encounter with Jesus, and he feels like uh, he just needs to take a break for a while from j- just about everything. And so he's going to be taking a break uh, for who knows how long, really, from the show to really focus on his relationship with Jesus. And so we want to support him in that. That's amazing. And in his absence, I'm going to be bringing my wife on a lot more, uh, my gorgeous wife, Katie. And we're going to be talking about everything from marriage to sex to relationship stuff in general, kids, uh, kids ministry, all that fun stuff. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy. I myself have had a, uh, encounter, a series of encounters with Jesus where I just feel like everything in my life that is not of him, everything that is too busy or, uh, that I was doing out of my own strength, I'm just trimming the fat off of my life and just focusing myself on experiencing him and enjoying the Lord. And so you will hear probably a renewed freshness in my speaking about the presence of God. And you might be like, well, you talk about that pretty much every week. I know I do. But it is so burning on my heart, you guys, that he's a living, breathing, personal God who loves you and wants relationship with you. And so I'm just going to dive into some stuff like that. Yeah. Also, I wanted to share a testimony real quick. I got to help out at a youth event at my church. Uh, my church, Bethel Cleveland, they have a program. Uh, well, I don't know if they actually run the program, but they're connected to at least a program called Antivirus, which is uh, they go into secular schools and they teach kids godly kingdom principles. And it's pretty amazing. Uh, one of the one of the pastors of our church was telling me about how she was having kids write down their thoughts about themselves. And a huge portion of them were thoughts about how they hate themselves or how they wish their parents wouldn't beat them or things like that. And she was saying how heartbreaking it is that she gets to go into these schools and teach them some really good things, but she's not allowed to talk about Jesus. And so she had this idea, what if we have an event outside of it where we invite them and we can share freely about Jesus? And so our pastor, Steve, got on board with that. And we had an amazing event. We had an ex box giveaway and uh inflatable like an inflatable obstacle course inflatable jousting all kinds of fun stuff like 70 pizzas and uh invited kids and yeah I got to help with that and do some worship and it was amazing because we had nine kids who responded to the gospel and wanted to give their lives and friendship to Jesus uh and one of those girls happened to be a Muslim um she it's it's amazing because she wanted to respond but she was worried because she was a Muslim. So after that, 
somebody on our uh, Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry team got a word of knowledge about asthma. So they prayed for her, and for the first time, she was able to run around the sanctuary, which is pretty big, without any pain in her chest. And she knew that that was Jesus. She acknowledged that that was Jesus. I thought, man, that is so cool. So much fun stuff is going on. Um, yeah, and even now, like as you're listening, just have a fresh fire fall on you because like so many of my friends right now who knew and loved Jesus are getting just touched to such a severe degree that they never knew that it it, feel, it almost feels like all my friends are just getting born again, 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 again. <laughs> yeah, and so I just wanted to share some of the revelation that has been coming out of that right now. Um I, I think there's something interesting going on in our culture where so many people, for so many different reasons, are trying to de-personify God. What I mean is this. So many people are trying to say that Jesus was either a, a good teacher, a nice historical figure, he had some good principles, maybe he was a good moral example, and even people want to reduce the cross of Jesus Christ to some sort of ultimate act of exampleship, which it is, truly it is that, but it's so much more than that. Or people want to take away the presence of God and just make everything about um, just following some nice principles or doing some nice rituals or whatever. Uh, And (laughs) here's the thing. The thing that makes Jesus so unique and beautiful is that he is not just a new religion to follow, but he is a living, breathing, interactive, speaking person to be known and enjoyed on a on a truly personal friendship level. And uh, n- now more than ever, I am realizing that and wanting to just hammer that home. And so I want to share with you uh, just a little bit from the book of John. There's an awesome story that takes place. I'll give you a little bit of historical setup here. It takes place during the Jewish festival of tabernacle. You might heard it ca- have heard it called the festival of booths. Okay. So his disciple, it's a seven day feast and it's essentially, this is what it is, is they, they set up uh, tabernacles for seven days and have a giant party where they're literally commanded not to work and celebrate the fact that God's presence was among their ancestors. Yeah. So the whole celebration is a, is a celebration of the fact that God's presence is with us. But this is coming at a time where the Jews were experiencing 400 years of silence they hadn't heard from God, okay? So they're still doing this ritual. They're still doing this festival. But the, the presence of the Lord isn't really there, at least not in the way that it was when he manifested himself in the tabernacle. Okay, so... His disciples are going to this festival, and Jesus says, I'm not going to go. But he does go. He just hides himself. And as he's walking around, he's listening. And it says there were many whispers about Jesus, uh, some of them saying he is a good man, others saying he's a deceiver of the people. Now, here's the thing. There's a huge difference between church culture, religious Christianity, and the actual friendship and fellowship with the person of Jesus that he came to bring us. Now here these people are. They're having a a religious ritual celebration of the presence of God, and yet they do not 
know that Yahweh himself is actually walking among them in the form of Jesus Christ. Now, there's so much uh, historical stuff packed into this story. Um, as far as rituals they do, but this is a nugget. I don't have time to break it all down, but let me just zoom in on one practice, okay, because it's going to get into the verse we're talking about here. There was a practice, I'm reading from a Jewish site here now, it says called the, <laughs> okay, I'm going to butcher this. I'm going to absolutely butcher this. I apologize to any of my Hebrew-speaking friends. The Simshat Beit Hashoeva, okay, it means rejoicing at the place of water drawing. Okay, so what they would do is they would draw water from the pool of Siloam, where you might remember Jesus healed a blind man, and uh, they would bring it to the temple, and they would turn it into a drink for the people to celebrate and drink, and they would serve it with wine. Okay, so here's this theme of water and wine, and remember the temple always represents God's presence and his house. Okay, so G so they're doing this, they're serving this symbolic uh, sort of uh, celebration of God's presence, and yet they don't realize that God is right there among them. And so what Jesus does is he, he says he cried out with a loud voice, Anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now, a couple of interesting things about what he said. Now, he's obviously talking about this water ceremony, but what he's saying is, you think that this uh, ceremony and religious ritual will give you life, but what you're looking for is me. See, I am the water of life. I am the thing that's going to satisfy your thirst. And he's definitely making references to Isaiah when it talks about how out of... Uh, out of the desert will flow springs of water. So he's saying when you feel dry, where religion has left you dry, where life has left you feeling empty, turn to Jesus because his friendship, his Holy Spirit within you will be a bubbling spring. Elsewhere, when Jesus mentions this, he says you will never thirst again. So how many of you have tasted the presence of Jesus and it's satisfied you, but then you feel like you have been thirsty again? Well, I want to just say that religion is a lousy substitute for the experiential person friendship with Jesus. So if you find yourself getting to a place of thirst, it's probably because somewhere you're buying into religious ritual, thinking that if you do enough, if you can be enough, if you can do this or that enough, if your outward actions can align, it will bring you life. But only experiencing the grace of God will, will leave you feeling satisfied time and time and time again. Bill Johnson puts it this way. Jesus said you'll never thirst again, and he said you'll have rivers of living water flowing from your being. So if you're thirsty, it's not it's not on God's end. It's probably because you're not drinking, or you're not drinking that which truly gives you life. And the other thing is, it talks about rivers, multiple rivers of living water flowing through you. You actually become a source for other people to drink. You will never have a Holy Spirit deficiency. But here's the other interesting thing about what he said. He said, he seems to be quoting a scripture. He says, as the scripture has said, out of your being will flow rivers of living water. 
Now, I have searched and searched the scriptures, and I cannot find a single other instance of the phrase living water except for in one other place. And when I found this, it wrecked me. It surprised me. The only other place I can find the phrase living water is in Song of Solomon uh, chapter 4, verse 15. I'm going to read this to you. It says, this is, and obviously if you know anything about the Song of Solomon, uh, it's sort of a parabolic, mystical uh, story between a husband who is pursuing a wife. And it's very explicit and fantastic. But he says, you, this is the lover speaking to the beloved, you are a garden fountain, a well of living or a well of living water streaming down from Lebanon. Now, okay, here's where I want to take this. The Book of Song of Solomon, a lot of evangelical types have tried to turn that into a manual for marriage. Now, of course, there is stuff about marriage in there that can be helpful, but all throughout history, rabbis and church fathers and mystics have always had a much more allegorical, mystical interpretation of the Song of Solomon that it has to do with uh, Yahweh and his love, the Jewish people, or now in our day, uh, Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, and uh, his church, the bride. Okay, but it's also between you and God. Like, he loves you. And the type of love that God has for you is so intense and beautiful and sweet and candy, uh, <laughs> you know, gumdrops, that the only real picture that can even come close to doing it justice is the love that newlyweds have for each other. It's that intimate, intimate love. This is why Paul says, uh, husbands submit to your wives, wives submit to your husbands, um, it, because it's a picture of the love that Jesus has for his church. So Jesus is quoting the Song of Solomon. He's saying the satisfaction of the presence of God, this living water that you're looking for, will only come to you in the context of a love relationship. So there's some folks out there who try to turn the Holy Spirit into some sort of mystical force. You know, he's more like the force in Star Wars, or they'll talk about the glory or the presence. But what they miss is that the glory, the presence is attached to a lover. And this lover's name is Jesus. And he wants you. Here's the other thing. It said, it talks about how, you know, the husband is saying to the wife, you are a garden spring. Okay. So it talks about how the husband is thirsty for the wife. What we don't understand is that God actually wants our love when we worship him, when we praise him. Okay. That's not new information to him, but on a heart to heart level, it is actually ministering to God's heart. It is actually feeding his soul. He gets joy from it. He derives pleasure from when we take time out of our day to spend with him, loving on him, telling him who he is to us, thanking him. Uh, Yeah. Oh, (laughs) I feel the juice on that. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Yeah. That 
so I, what I was finding is in all my talk about experiencing the fullness of God that he lives inside of us, yes, that is very true. But the way that we actually experience that is in the context of romance. And some of us are highly uncomfortable with the com- with the uh, with the concept of romance, whether uh, you know we just weren't shown that at a young age how to be loved or whether we just have, you know, maybe some marriage blockages and it transfers over to our relationship with God. But whatever the case is, Jesus is a lover and he has eyes of fire for you. John Crowder once said it this way. He said, when God poured out his love on the cross, he poured out everything that he possibly had. When he went to the cross, he poured out every ounce of love that he had. Okay, and then it says, he said, I thirst. What was he thirsty for? He was thirsty for the water that his bride would eventually bring him. It was for the joy set before him that he went to the cross because he knew that one day he would get to hear it from your lips that you love him. He would get to hear it from your spirit that you adore Jesus. And so, yes, focusing on God's love for us is an amazing, beautiful thing. But he also longs and desires to hear of your love for him. Yeah. And so as you go about your day, may you just know that you are in fellowship, not with a religious principle, not with a a set of rituals or even a a nameless, faceless, universal cosmic force, but you are in fellowship with a true living friend and lover who wants to be intimate with you and know you at the core part of your being. And as you engage in relationship with this lover, you will sense those rivers of living water flowing from you, turning deserts into springs and becoming a source for everyone around you. So what I'm going to do now is just pray for you. Pray that you experience this. So lift your hands if you can. Just take a moment maybe to be alone. I'm just going to pray for you. Jesus, I pray that right now, right now, Lord, you would just erode all the years of wear and tear. You would erode all the distractions of the day and that you would just take over. Let your presence manifest even through their headphones. Let them just feel in the core of their being touched by you, known by you. God, I pray that you refresh them with multiple springs of living water. Turn all their deserts into fountains, into gardens. Oh, yes, Jesus. I just pray hit the reset button for them. Let them discover you as if they had just met you for the first time. Oh, Jesus, in your mighty name, I pray. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening.